Good afternoon. It's uh, Friday the 8th of January 2021. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century War. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Happy New Year, Mike. Great to be with you. It's the first time I've been in the studio yeah, since, since the New Year. but uh, great. Indeed. But is it a happy New Year? Because, of course, we're getting straight on mm. with, the, uh, with the events in Washington, D.C. The chaos, the chaos that has ensued in Washington, D.C. We'll get straight into this story, but uh, suffice to say, I'm sure uh, a lot of our, our viewers uh, have already been abreast of what's happened. Of course, it's all over the front pages of, uh, of UK, European newspapers, mm -hmm. and has sparked righteous indignation right the way across the globe, uh, where the hallowed uh, citadel of democracy has been uh, desecrated uh, by these uh, unwashed masses that have converged on the Capitol. We'll get to some of those reactions mm. from some of the great uh, world leaders uh, around the world, their reactions to what happened in a minute. But let's just kind of explain what happened, how this, how this kind of uh, series of events was set into motion. Now, this is uh, the first thing that you need to understand here, what was going on uh, during this time, the same time as the protests, uh, the, the House was going through uh, you know, basically objections uh, from some of the states, uh, like, for instance, Arizona, uh, where a congressman uh, from Arizona, Paul Gosar, uh, lodged his objection uh, to uh, sending the, the, rejecting the slate of electors, basically, uh, because they don't believe that the uh, results of the election are basically um, uh, legitimate. Yes. Because there's been reports of voter fraud, et cetera, evidence that has been... Uh, uh, submitted to the record. There are other states as well. There are senators backing this effort, Republican senators. Uh, you could call them Trump loyalists, okay? But what happened was uh, they were uh, petitioning for a 10-day investigation, a 10-day period uh, from, from, from the day. So that would run up right before the uh, scheduled inauguration. Now, it's, it's the thing that to understand is I don't think the Donald Trump camp was expecting to overturn the election results, but they wanted to see the process through. Mm -hmm. uh, this is based on the reports and the things that I've heard and read. Okay, so I think with, with Trump, he wasn't expecting that, but he was still trying to push the process because he wanted transparency. Uh, I mean, obviously, Mike Pence had a role here as the uh, because he's the um, vice president and therefore chairs these kinds of meetings in the Senate. Um, a lot of the mainstream media is suggesting that Pence effectively betray betrayed Trump, did he? Uh, I think it's actually, that's actually a fair assessment. But you know, his role, the vice president's role is really symbolic mm -hmm. uh, in, in that story. Um, but uh, Mike Pence has, has, has always been kind of halfway in, halfway out when it came to actually, uh, you know, doing something uh, to support the president. He's always kind of hedged his bets and he's, def he's definitely more of an establishment aligned figure mm -hmm. than Donald Trump. And by the way, um, it, I, I don't think Trump and Pence were communicating before this uh, uh, happened. Uh, he, so Trump didn't know what Pence was going to do. A lot of people think that they're like one melded mind, like Batman and Robin, but it, any, it, that, that's far from the case. Right. That's far from the case. So uh, what ended up happening was there were protests outside and there were uh, and then the protesters uh, made their way into the Capitol building after that. And of course, what did that do? That uh, basically interrupted the process, uh, which was going on inside, and they didn't get their 10-day investigation. It really forced uh, legislators to come back and just kind of rush this through, mm -hmm. rush the certification through. So uh, we can talk about you know, whether, whether this was by design or not. Uh, whether there was a stand-down order, we'll look at some evidence in a second. But let's let's hear what uh, the the president had to say. Right when this was order breaking, he made a call for people to to calm down and go home. And this completely flabbergasted uh, the Democrats, and they called this incitement. But go ahead and let's listen to this. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. So Trump made that statement, and he posted that on Twitter. 
And then what happened? Twitter did not like that. And uh, they put a temporary ban on his account unless he manually deleted that tweet. So it seemed like uh, Silicon Valley didn't want any evidence that the president was calling for people to, you know, was calling for peace and for protesters mm -hmm. to stand down because that went against the mainstream media and the Democratic Party's narrative that he was inciting riots. So, I mean, this is just an unbelievable situation with Silicon Valley, completely dishonest and totally Machiavellian in how they're coordinating uh, with, with Joe Biden's office and also with, with the mainstream media to create this narrative mm. that uh, Donald Trump was inciting uh, violence, inciting riots. And when in fact he had no control over uh, the crowd, he, he, as far as I can see, looking at all of his statements here that we read through, uh, there's no incitement uh, in any of these speeches. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, in, in, that, in that sense, the media reporting is fake news. So the next thing was uh, he was being branded a terrorist leader? Well, here, here's the, the, the left-wing vanguard, a typical reaction. This is David Korn, uh, one of the great purveyors of the Russiagate uh, mythology. But no surprise here, Donald Trump is now a terrorist leader. So you can see this is the really heavy uh, rhetoric coming uh, from the left-wing media, and but also from from the Democrat Party itself, from from Joe Biden itself, will play his his words uh, in just a few minutes. But yeah, that that's the that's the general narrative. Now um, we'll we'll get into what what happened and some of the provocateur aspects of this in a second. We'll do a quick summary of that. But uh, this is just too much here. Uh, let me just show this next image. Uh, this is. Representative David Trone, a Democrat from Maryland, and a lot of the Democrats were putting these, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, they're all putting these kind of, oh, I'm safe, everything's okay, we, we've been, it's like the, a Hollywood movie was taking place, like, you know, uh, President Down or Washington Down or whatever, and here he is with this bubble over his head. So I, I think some of the Democrats were more afraid that the Trump supporters weren't wearing masks and maybe would spread COVID. And so they, they sort of treat it like a biological attack. And uh, not everybody was wearing these uh, John Travolta, Boy in the Bubble sort of uh, costumes or whatever. But I mean, this is how hysterical, you see the virtue signaling here. Uh, I'm a, you know, this is the ultimate victimization, virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so over the top. The media coverage, uh, the political reactions was, was really over the top. Now, some serious things did happen. Um, and in fact, some people were sh uh, one woman, unarmed woman was was shot. Some people say executed at very very close range. Mm. Uh, who was inside the Capitol building? And there's there's so many details to what happened here. I mean, I, I've got two observations on this. First of all, if we looked at the BBC coverage of this, uh, it was all very emotive language, uh, riots. Uh, you know, people storming the. It was almost like they were storming the Bastille sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and they had the video clips of it and you compare their headlines and you compare their words to what was actually in the video. And it was like two completely different events. Yeah. So people were, were, were being well behaved. They were not rioting. They weren't throwing things. They were walking in. They were, it was almost like a party atmosphere. Um, and uh, so, so the media coverage was, was absolutely appalling. The other thing that was, that was quickly done yesterday, I noticed... Uh, particularly in the Daily Mail, was that there was an attempt to then uh, destroy the reputation of, of the uh, the lady that was shot and killed. Mm. Um, now, she was a, an Air Force veteran, but they were implying, well, they were uh, bringing up dirt from her past of, of various uh, domestic problems that she was clearly having uh, and trying to paint a picture of somebody who was, uh, you know, off the rails. It's really a shameless hit piece, yes. basically. Someone, she was, she was unarmed, uh, there, you know, there was no reason to have sh done a, a headshot, so it was it was a kill shot to the head. Mm. Uh, that I think it was either Secret Service or it was DC police, but it wasn't a uniformed officer. Obviously, I've seen all the videos. Mm. We've seen all the videos. We can't show those videos uh, because it's but, it's a live execution. Mm. But you can go on Twitter and you can see these videos if you search, or they're basically on a number of uh, websites like Conservative Treehouse has all of the videos uh, archived there. So, I mean, it was, it was, you could call it an execution. There was no reason uh, this woman didn't pose any threat to the lives of anybody in there. Uh, she wasn't showing a weapon or anything like this. So, you know, why they did that, um, what's the real story behind that? 
uh, was there an order to set an example, or was this just uh, you know a, a, somebody who's trigger happy? I mean, and and we'll notice that there's no George Floyd style moral outrage over what happened there. None at all. None at all. She won't be given any martyr treatment or anything mm -hmm. like that. So, but uh, just fur further on from this, uh, the next thing that uh, we'll we'll show here is here he is. This is. Uh, Representative Trone from Maryland, I mean, unbelievable, really. I mean, he's taking a selfie just to kind of make this point to the public, and he's kind of putting himself in this kind of Hollywood thing. I mean, this is the age of social media. As we said before, politics is the new Hollywood. Mm. Politics is the new Hollywood, and here this is a perfect example of that, uh, that term, that, that, that thesis. So based on all of this, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, made the executive decision, CEO of Facebook, to cancel Donald Trump's uh, Facebook account indefinitely, his Instagram account as well. So we had Silicon Valley, Twitter, and Facebook basically taking the president offline. This is a sitting president. So they have acted as jury and executioner uh, on what are arguably the biggest platforms, much bigger, in fact, than the mainstream media mm -hmm. globally. Uh, and they've shut down the president here. This is what Mark Zuckerberg says. It's quite a lengthy statement, but considering the historic ramifications of this, it's really important that we, uh, we give this proper airing here. And this is what he says. The shocking events of the last 24 hours clearly demonstrate that President Donald Trump intends to use his remaining time in office to undermine the peaceful and lawful transition of power to his elected successor, uh, Joe Biden. That's uh, Mark Zuckerberg's opinion, by the way. That doesn't necessarily reflect a reality, but here we go. Uh, his decision to use his platform to condone uh, rather than condemn the actions of his supporters at the Capitol building has rightly disturbed people in the US and around the world. So this is a global issue, Mike. Uh, so Donald Trump has disturbed the heirs uh, and graces of the good and the great globally, uh, in fact. So Zuckerberg continues, we removed these statements yesterday from Facebook uh, because we judged that their effect and likely their intent would be to provoke further violence. Okay, so Donald Trump is, uh, is, is not responsible for what his supporters say or do. Okay, and it's, it's it, it, the, what Z Mark Zuckerberg and others have not said in any of these statements is that the only uh, real violence that's been recorded um, are, you know, th th there are supposedly four people died, mm. but the media won't give any details of the circumstances except for the woman who was shot. Mm. That's the only person we have a name released and a cause of death, okay? The rest of it, it's all very vague. And we just had a report that a police officer died but he went back to his office after sustaining injuries and collapsed at his office and they're opening a homicide investigation so i mean that doesn't sound like a typical homicide case could have had a heart attack we don't know what those sustained injuries are but n again not a word about the unarmed woman with who was shot and killed with, a, with one shot to the head at close range mm -hmm. so just uh, back to mark uh, zuckerberg here he continues Following the certification of election results by Congress, the priority for the whole country, this is President Zuckerberg speaking here, uh, the priority for the whole country must now be to ensure that the remaining 13 days, the days after inauguration, uh, pass peacefully uh, and in accordance with established democratic norms. Mm -hmm. So Mark Zuckerberg is, is regulating speech of the President of the United States, the elected President of the United States, and he's dictating what are meant to be democratic norms. And finally, uh, just rounding this out here, over the last several years, we have allowed the president to use our platform. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> Consistent with our own rules, at times removing content or labeling his posts when they violate our policies. So he's saying it's, it's our, our platform our policy so it's it's a monopoly it has a monopoly on social media on communication and, and it's not seen as a public square according to Facebook it's mm -hmm. not seen as a public utility so it's this is one of the richest people in the world an oligarch within an oligarch class of big tech oligarchs are basically saying these are our media communication channels 
and it's you, you're privileged to use them even if you are the democratically elected president of the United States, and we will cancel you, basically. Now, the mainstream networks haven't openly done that or said that, but social media, big tech, are now making a play, openly doing this now. So it, it doesn't matter what your status is, mm. whether you're elected or not, you will be, they'll, they'll decide whether you can communicate with the public, with your constituency or not, but just to, uh, continue here. We did this because we believe that the public has a right to to the broad the broadest possible access to political speech, even controversial speech. But the current context is now fundamentally different, involving uh, the use of our platform to incite violent insurrection. So Mark Zuckerberg has labeled this violent insurrection and against a democratically uh, elected government. And yet the only actual violence was from the police? That's, well, the, the fatal violence, yeah. Mm. It seems to be only from the police. So this is, this is a completely dishonest and disingenuous way of framing it by Mark Zuckerberg. You could say that he's kind of lying uh, in a way. I mean, hugely dishonest and hugely partisan. He's anything but objective. And just finally, uh, uh, we believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service uh, during this period are simply too great. Therefore, we are extending the block we have placed on his Facebook and Instagram accounts indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete. Keep hearing this trope, the peaceful transition of power. Uh, we never used to say that. Uh, back in the old days, Mike, it wasn't a transition of power, it was a transition of elected governments. Mm. But the word power is now central mm. in the vernacular of all of these, this new class of politicians. It's about power. And, and so we are definitely uh, entering a post-democratic phase right now. Like everyone has commented and, and can feel this, but they're saying that they're the guardians of democracy. So. And uh, on, on, the, on the Zuckerberg front here, the People's Pundit is weighing in. He's just reminding us, this is a Richard Barris, the, the great pollster from the People's Pundit. Mark Zuckerberg is also the person who essentially bribed officials to circumvent legislatures on election laws before the 2020 election. And Mark Zuckerberg also bought pollsters. He paid their salaries to go to the swing states, to some of these key precincts. He paid, and he openly said this publicly. And we reported on this, by the way, previously. So Barris continues, uh, this is now a totalitarian state. After four years, they've decided that we can no longer be trusted uh, to govern or think for ourselves. I'm not sure that they ever viewed people as being trusted to govern or think for themselves. Uh, Trump, if he was anything, was an aberration. He was, yeah. He, he was uh, a blip on the radar screen of totalitarianism. But here's an interesting point that a lot of people missed. Uh, you know, how were these provocateurs who were on the front lines, how were they allowed to get in so easily into the Capitol building? Well, and where was the police presence? I mean, they had a special session in Congress, a very important session. Why would they allow 200,000 people to basically come right up to the Capitol steps? Mm. When I've been in the D.C. many times, Mike, in the past, where there's layers and layers of barriers. So they've removed some of those because of BLM, Black Lives Matter protests, and so here's a stand down order uh, the day before from Mayor Muriel Brazer, uh, Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C. Here she is with her mask on, uh, which is very fashionable for U.S. politicians to be wearing their masks on social media. Uh, to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requesting other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages any additional deployment without uh, immediate notification to and consultation with uh, the mayor's, uh, the Metropolitan Police Department, if such plans are underway. So effectively, you could call this a stand-down order, Mike, mm. the day before. I mean, it's it's on record. So they knew that there were going to be hundreds of thousands of people. Well, it's not like the thing wasn't advertised. People were There were people talking about two, four million people potentially turning up to this, and, and she's standing law enforcement down. Yeah, and why isn't the media not paying attention to this? So effectively, the, the conditions were laid for a perfect storm. And if you add provocateurs who could push the barriers, break police lines, and then the opportunists and the sort of you know, hangers-on come in behind them taking selfies uh, inside the Capitol building. And this is kind of what we see here. 
And this, these are the images that the media are all over here, and I'm calling this sort of MAGA selfies, uh, some of these dubious characters here. And this provoked outrage, of course, by a lot of people, and they thought this, they've desecrated the, uh, the sacred uh, uh, democratic institutions and so forth. Uh, the, the Buffalo Man is interesting. We tracked him down uh, to backstage. This is an acting uh, website, uh, agency website here, and he's in fact an actor. Uh, and this was taken down by backstage right as this story broke. They took his page offline. We managed to recover it, though, uh, via webcache, and here he is. He's an actor, Jake uh, Angeli, uh, actor, voiceover artist, singer, and he's also been to a number of other uh, BLM events uh, carrying a QAnon flag. So he's, he's clearly a kind of character that's been put out as a set piece uh, for, to, to represent QAnon, and now to represent this uh, Trump uh, rally, whatever, inside the Capitol taking selfies. So uh, is he paid? How did he get out from Arizona to Washington, D.C.? Is he independently wealthy, or did somebody pay for him to be out there? It's, it's difficult to say at this moment, but these are the sort of characters that are appearing in the media, Mike. This is, this is an actor. There's no question uh, about it. And further on from this, the fact-checkers have jumped all over this. Now, this is the dangerous thing. The fact-checkers have come in and say uh, things like, uh, this person is not a BLM supporter. This is Buffalo Man here, Jake Angeli. And so they're jumping on the narrative immediately, uh, basically to try to shut down any questions. And this means something because they're putting pressure on social media companies. I'm talking about Reuters, mm. USA Today, and all these fact-checkers to pull down posts or throw roadblock labels over posts. Here's another one here. Fact check, members of Antifa were not identified among the rioters at the U.S. Capitol by facial recognition company. What they're really saying is there were no Antifa agent provocateurs. And how could they make such a statement? Because they don't know. Mm. So they're, they're picking out some obscure claim like a facial recognition company identified Antifa people, which may or may not be true, but they're using this to squash any questions about agent provocateurs. So I can't tell you... This fact-checking culture is just completely out of control. Out of control and extremely dangerous. It is, it is, because they have, this isn't, fact-checking is not journalism. There's a whole context involved. How can you make such uh, definitive statements after only a few hours mm -hmm. after the event? So, uh, and basically it's to try to control the narrative 100% and just button it, button it down and make everything airtight. And uh, this is the uh, moment, you can see that's uh, Ashley Babbitt, with the red circle, and she was the woman uh, from San Diego, who you mentioned before, Mike, who was shot and killed. Uh, just on the left-hand side, the furthest window into that hallway uh, is where the Secret Service or the D.C. Uh, police officer uh, fired her handgun. So, you know, he was at close range, so he would have been able to see whether she had a weapon or not. There's no question. So you could say, why, why was this done? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there were police coming up the stairs behind her as well. That's a whole rabbit hole we don't want to get into too much. So Joe Biden was very quick, Mike, to the mark. Uh, and here is uh, Joe Biden's uh, statement to uh, the public. Let's listen to this. Yesterday, in my view, one of the darkest days in the history of our nation, an unprecedented assault on our democracy. An assault, literally, on the citadel of liberty in the United States Capitol itself. An assault on the rule of law. An assault on the most sacred of American undertakings, ratifying the will of the people in choosing the leadership of their government. All of us here grieve the loss of life, grieve the desecration of the people's house. But we, what we witnessed yesterday was not dissent. It was not disorder. It was not protest. It was chaos. They weren't protesters. Don't dare call them protesters. They were a riotous mob, insurrectionists, domestic terrorists. It's that basic, it's that simple. Domestic terrorists. So we're the, the absolutely building this narrative uh, of people being equivalent to what ISIS. Yeah. So so basically, civil disobedience 
which is effectively what you saw yesterday, like it or not, whether you like Trump supporters or not, uh, whether some of them are waving QAnon flags or some provocateur uh, is shot by uh, Getty images uh, mm -hmm. carrying a Confederate flag through the Capitol, mm -hmm. uh, one person out of uh, 200,000, uh, whether you like it or not, that is civil disobedience by definition. It's not rioting. They didn't burn anything down. Some people did break windows. Uh, we have video footage of the crowd uh, basically chanting for the people to stop breaking the windows, by the way. And that's obviously not been shown on media. We didn't have time to show that today. But Joe Biden is um, uh, using that term insurrection. That's a serious term. That usually means military insurrection, Mike, where... Uh, someone's, uh, you know, conspiring to use the military against the government or something like this. Mm. That's, you know, a coup d'etat. So they're really throwing, they're banding these terms around very casually. Joe Biden, by the way, was slurring his speech through that, the, the entirety of that address and others. He can barely make it through any of these uh, public statements. I mean, it's really sad and, and kind of embarrassing, uh, but nobody's really pulling him up on it or pulling the Democrats up on it like that he's slightly absent-minded. But uh, just beyond that, he's using religious terms like the desecration, the sacred American undertaking of the people's business, the sacred ritual, he called it, of confirming the majesty of democracy. And so a lot of these religious terms associated with democracy, this mm -hmm. kind of, uh, uh, I don't know what to, how to describe it, but it's really weird, uh, in fact, and we're seeing a lot of this. So we just have to remind Joe Biden that uh, this was just, Mike, uh, not long ago, well, June 1st, 2020. This is during the uh, George Floyd riots. You can see, abolish the police. White House was put on lockdown after protests uh, went right and burned one of the White House's satellite buildings, was set fire, and also burned a church, a uh, historic church just across the street. So these were mobs, actual mobs, actually rioting, actually targeting uh, government buildings and trying to basically <laughs> breach the White House. This was this summer, okay, and here it is again. These are the, these are the streets surrounding the White House here. You can see a car overturned uh, in this particular one. So, you know, a very short memory in terms of, you know, you, you want to talk about insurrection or uh, rioting and things like this, but complete silence by the Democrats. They supported all of these, these actions because it was against a branch of government that they didn't control. Mm. Uh, so that it, when the shoe's on the other foot, obviously they reject it and call it insurrection and sedition and so forth. And uh, so here, just to remind you as well, this is just one example. There's a long history in the United States of occupying government buildings. And mind you, these protesters in DC were only in there for two hours, if that, okay? So you, can, you can't even call it an occupation. Okay, this is an example. 2011, Democrats occupied the Wisconsin state capitol to block democratically elected state leaders from passing public sector union reforms. Okay, and here, if you look at these videos, there are, there's thousands of people in the state legislature with drum circles, mm -hmm. basically occupying it for long periods of time. This was encouraged and cheered on by the media, of course. So you can see there's this uh, disconnect, and I think it's a, definitely a partisan disconnect and hugely dishonest uh, on the t on the part of the media. Mm. So, and just to, just to show you how extreme it's getting in terms of uh, the political rhetoric, ABC News, their political director is calling for a cleansing of Trump voters. Uh, Rich, Rich Rick Klein is his name. He's calling for the cleansing of Trump supporters following the Capitol Hill chaos. We're seeing a lot of this rhetoric uh, coming out here. Basically, the fact that uh, is what he says. Uh, the fact is that getting rid of Trump is the easy part. Cleansing the movement uh, he commands is going to be something else. And this is a narrative that they've been running for a few months now, the suggestion that once Trump is gone, uh, Trumpism will continue, that it'll infect the, the Republican Party and, and they'll never get rid of it. It's delusional because uh, 76 million people, actual people, living people voted for Donald Trump, okay? Uh, actual humans voted yeah. for, for Trump. And just... Uh, to show you this, this is a term called lustration. Okay, you see this in the Ukraine after the coup in the Ukraine where they shut out parties uh, that the new uh, uh, ruling uh, clique didn't like. They basically shut them out in Eastern Ukraine. That triggered a civil war, an armed uh, confrontation in that country. So this is calls for lustration by Democrats. This just right after the election, 
um, that basically about Trump supporters, about the GOP, uh, they have to be broken, burned down, and rebuilt. He's calling for the Republican Party to be broken and burned down, basically. And this is a, a Democratic operative here with his, his pandemic message uh, in there. And also this is a former Obama spokesperson uh, here, uh, Hari uh, Sevagan, and he's uh, heading the Trump uh, Accountability Project. And Ocasio-Cortez, uh, the uh, Democratic representative from New York, uh, she's AOC, she's basically saying we need to draw lists and catalog all the messages and tweets of Trump supporters so they can be held accountable. And Wow, they, so anybody that took a paycheck from, from Trump is potentially uh, going to be indicted? Well, this is, this is what they're proposing. Not, not indicted, Mike, um, just in a kind of Maoist way. Uh, hunted down by these committees and m publicly mobbed through the media and possibly using uh, the, the, the levers of government to do it. It mm -hmm. depends how, how far uh, the Democrats are going to go in terms of their authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. And it looks like from Biden's statements quite far. And not only that, they're, they're wanting to uh, remove senators and congressmen who supported the elector challenge, including uh, Missouri Senator here, uh, Josh Hawley. And uh, Simon & Schuster just canceled his book contract. He had a, a, a major book release coming out, and he said here that uh, this could not be more Orwellian. And he goes on to talk about how this isn't about his contract. Uh, he's not talking about uh, his contract dispute. He's saying this is a direct assault on the First Amendment. Only approved speech can now be published. This is the left looking to cancel everyone they don't approve of. I will fight this cancel culture with everything I have. We'll see you in court, said Josh Hawley. But there's others, congressmen and senators, they're calling for them to be removed uh, from office because of their support for pre mm. President Trump. So this is incredible. So here we have the, uh, the righteous indignation here. Now this is the big parade, the global parade here. Joe Biden, and we talked about some of his statements. We, we heard his statement earlier, but the important key word uh, here is these words like extremists and lawlessness, and he goes on to talk about uh, this is not dissent, this is borders on sedition. There's a specific definition for sedition, and uh, taking selfies uh, in the Capitol building and, and doing a live stream from Nancy Pelosi's office uh, isn't exactly isn't sedition. sedition. It might be a, 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 you know, kind of a high-level political prank. Rioters, insurrectionists, domestic terrorists, Here's Phil Murphy, New Jersey governor, again with his mask. He's calling it an attempted coup uh, at the U.S. Capitol, and he called to deploy the National Guard. These are the people that said that Trump was overstepping his authority to, de to deploy the National Guard during the summer mm -hmm. when Washington, D.C. was under siege from BLM protesters. So again, it's a war of rhetoric. Going around the globe, uh, another great champion of democracy here, Emmanuel Macron. We believe in democracy. Hashtag we are one and this is France in lockdown with some of the most draconian laws right now uh, They're basically holding massive protests back right now in France uh, Half the country want him actually thrown out onto the street and maybe in a jail somewhere And so he's pontificating on the virtues of democracy and here's uh, the British Prime Minister looking quite uh, Maskless quite well he's chipper and healthy there, but let's let's get him into Halloween mode that's the Boris we know. Disgraceful scenes in the US Congress, the United States stands for democracy around the world. And it is now vital that uh, there should be a peaceful and orderly transition of power. Now, who is Boris Johnson to be yes, lecturing about democracy right now, uh, considering the state of, of the UK and parliamentary democracy, constitutional law in, in this country is, uh, is in a quite a state. But uh, this man would know a thing or two about democracy, Mike. This oh, yes. Is, this is Charles Michel. He is the EU Council president. The U.S. Congress is the temple of democracy. Uh, to witness tonight's scene is a shock and so forth. So, again, he knows a lot about democracy. Here's another person who knows about bringing democracy to the people of Libya, Afghanistan, <laughs> and other places. This is Jan Stoltenberg. And what does he have to say? Shocking scenes in Washington, D.C. The outcome of this... Democratic election must be respected, says Jan Stoltenberg. And here's Tony Blair's disciple, Jacinta Ardern, 
uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And like so many others, I've been watching what's happening in the United States, and I share the sentiment of my friends in the U.S. What is happening is wrong, she said. Let's put her in her garb as well. She's got Mike Hoskins' uh, portrait there on what looks like well, it's supposed to be a mask, but it looks, yes, it looks, it looks something like something else. It yes. looks like something else, maybe a thong. Uh, and here she is, more virtue signaling democracy, the right of people to exercise the vote. Now, the irony here is all these people are basically uh, saying that this is a horrible desecration of democracy, but the people are out protesting election fraud. Yes. So uh, they're, they're out to defend their right to vote. And, of course, this is being brushed aside and dismissed by all of these virtue signaling leaders. And here she is, this is, she had to weigh in as well. This is Nicholas Sturgeon, party chairman, north of the border. And the scenes from the Capitol are utterly horrifying. Solidarity with uh, those uh, in, in the side of democracy and the peaceful transition of power, et cetera. Shame on those who have incited this attack on democracy. And there she is, that's the Nicola there with her designer mask. Let's call them the guardians of democracy, Mike. You can see them lined up here. And this is what the US rhetoric is gonna look like going forward. You're gonna have all of these so-called democratic leaders virtue signaling with Joe Biden as their godfather and uh, basically metting out uh, foreign policy, freedom and democracy globally. The guardians of democracy. They'll call it the League of Democracy. Well, if these people are the guardians of democracy, let's just look at the type of democracy that they are upholding uh, at the moment, and particular, particularly Nicholas Sturgeon, uh, because let's have a look at uh, something that was tweeted out uh, by uh, earlier on today uh, of the police entering a home in Scotland. Let's just have a quick look at that. My house. Oh, that is So there's significantly more to that video clip. Uh, and now that was pushed out by Big Brother Watch uh, this morning. Uh, and they said in that tweet uh, that the police Scotland had stormed into a family home yesterday on suspicion they had guests around. In fact, their seriously ill daughter had just been discharged from hospital. Uh, Big Brother Watch went on to say this is disgraceful. Serious questions must be answered now at Nicholas Sturgeon. Uh, incredibly, in the second video, they've got another video. If you go and find that tweet, you'll find the second video. The police remain and continue to distress the family whilst the daughter is on the floor. Uh, we've reviewed a lot of poor and unlawful policing during the pandemic. This may be the most heinous and senseless example yet. Change must follow this. We've offered to provide support to the young woman concerned if required. We will also pursue uh, answers from Police Scotland. And I would say that really that's what we all need to be doing at this point is pursuing answers from Police Scotland. But let's just uh, quickly have a look at what uh, Police Scotland said. Over this, we received a complaint from a member of the public. So this, make no mistake, this is Stasi Britain at work here. That's a snitch, basically. Yes, tip. yes. Yeah. We, we received a complaint from a member of the public regarding a breach of coronavirus regulations at a property in Aberdeen around 11.20 on Wednesday, the 6th of January, 2021. Officers attended and two women aged 18 and 48 and a 43-year-old man were charged in connection with assaulting police officers and threatening and abusive behaviour and will be reported to the Procurator Fiscal. Now, frankly, I don't see how that can possibly, those charges could possibly stand. But nonetheless, uh, you saw the video. Uh, I don't think there was any evidence there of assault on police officers by the people in the home. Now, we have uh, seen in the media 
calls from certain senior police officers in the UK to make this a blanket power to be able to enter people's homes and make sure that uh, coronavirus legislation is being adhered to, the lockdown is being adhered to. They were particularly concerned, if I remember rightly, uh, at being able to check that people were wearing masks indoors in their own homes if they were in the presence of other people. Um, so that's that's the direction that we're going in, Patrick, and it's pretty dangerous. But this is being upheld by Nicola Sturgeon uh, and the other uh, guardians of democracy around the world because we're seeing this type of behaviour from the police everywhere we go. Right. Now, if you like uh, what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please uh, head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there. Join the community, get involved. Very much appreciated. Uh, but also... Uh, in this uh, year of 2021, the year of censorship, uh, we uh, also need to share our stuff as widely as possible. Now, we are on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. We are on YouTube, of course. Many of you are watching this on YouTube. Uh, but we're also on BitChute, and we will be on other channels as well, and we'll let you know as and when. Now, let's move on. Belfast Health and Social Care Trust, um, they have decided that they are... Uh, that they have no option, they say, but to cancel urgent cancer surgery. So anybody that is uh, requiring urgent cancer surgery will no longer get it. Now, people may have a view on how useful uh, surgery is in, with cancer, but nonetheless, this is evidence that the uh, uh, healthcare is being withdrawn for non-COVID patients, uh, people that are seriously ill, because these are urgent cases that we're talking about. Uh, they're known as red flag cancer cases, uh, where an operation is expected to impact on a person's ability to recover uh, or even survive. Uh, the, the Department of Health confirmed that uh, uh, one in 60 people in Northern Ireland have COVID-19 and therefore that apparently justifies this disgraceful uh, situation. Is it, would that be rationing care then? Absolutely, we are talking about rationing care. For, yes. for cancer sufferers. For cancer sufferers. Uh, we're, we, we're seeing rationing of care for people with a wide range of uh, illnesses, not just cancer. And of course, as we've been making the point, Patrick, since the beginning of this thing, this was only ever going to result in excess mortality. Uh, and we have been showing for a year, near, almost a year now, that uh, much of the excess mortality, if not the majority of the excess mortality, has been a result of this type of policy, of the removal of healthcare from people rather than COVID-19 itself. Um, so I've lost count of the amount of times that people with government ministries and mainstream media fact checkers, Mike, over the last nine months have, have basically tried to debunk the claim that uh, cancer sufferers were not getting their uh, early screening uh, that, were, that could be contributing to excess mortality. Uh, those things that we flagged early were being pushed back mm -hmm. and called as you know, not true and you know, health ministers were denying them. That's prima facie evidence right there. Absolutely, not, but it gets better uh, because, of course, uh, uh, well, the, there's so much rhetoric in the press which is completely untrue, uh, but it, which is designed to create fear, uh, particularly fear. But let's just have a look at this one. COVID rationing plan. This is a mail online. COVID rationing plan advises doctors at major NHS hospital to pick which severely ill patients to save by lottery or based on, quote, how much they contribute to society. Now, if that were true, uh, that would be a really significant step in the wrong direction. Uh, let's just uh, see what they say. Protocol calls for patients to be prioritized based on contributions to society. But my question, Patrick, is, is this true? Uh, because this article was based on a Telegraph article and the Telegraph article didn't say anything about this whatsoever. Um, so here is the document that they are uh, writing this article from. It's the headline in the article is development of a structured process for fair allocation of critical care resources in the setting of insufficient capacity, a discussion paper. And this is something that was uh, uh, published in the, uh, in the Journal of Medical Ethics as a discussion paper, but it's being distributed uh, around apparently around the NHS. So let's just have a look at, well, in fact, there is no uh, discussion in this um, article in this discussion paper that along the lines of what the Daily Mail says. So let's just have a look at the particular section that the Daily Mail quotes from, uh, and it's this, assessment three, ethical factors. And it says, in addition to assessments one and two, there's a need to consider broader ethical considerations 
it's essential that these principles are considered as part of the decision-making process. And they talk about things like the aim to save more lives and more years of life. Uh, we counsel against incorporating a clinician's view on its patient's future quality of life and decision-making. We counsel against incorporating a clinician's view of, on the patient's future quality of life and decision-making. It's, it's unlikely clinicians can ju uh, reliably justify that or judge this. Uh, age should not be used as a sole determinant. Uh, patients with COVID-19 and other medical conditions should be treated equally. 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 The duration of critical care treatment uh, an individual is likely to require in order to recover may be a factor in allocating resources. The framework should respond to changing scientific evidence. But here's the key quote. It says this, and the, the Daily Mail did quote this, but, the, but it says, other ethical considerations are more complex and opinions differ considerably. Some judge that an individual's potential to contribute to maintenance of the critical infrastructure throughout the epidemic may be considered a determining priority for allocation of ICU care. Others have proposed that people who participate in research to improve treatments or vaccines during an epidemic should be given some priority for treatment. If either of these factors is included, please read consideration in online supplement data five and document fully. This is not a call for, this is not a requirement. This is an observation that some people are making these comments and, and, and raising it as a, as a discussion point. Within the, within the context of an, ethical, uh, an ethics discussion, right? right? And, and the context is the key thing here. So if we look back at what the Daily Mail, how they spun this, they said protocol calls for patients to be prioritized based on contributions to society. No, it does not. It suggests that uh, some people suggest that the, there may be such prioritization based on contributions to critical infrastructure, not to society. But in any case, at no point is there a call for it. So, so it's gaslighting. Uh, absolute gaslighting. So let's have a look at who, uh, unfortunately I've covered his uh, face there, uh, Connor Boyd, who is being described as the assistant uh, health editor at Mail Online. He is about 25, he knows nothing, uh, and he has written uh, something which, if you're being uh, kind, you might say is clickbait. If you're being more, uh, shall we say, more analytical about it, uh, we are seeing so many of these types of articles appearing in the mainstream press, which are designed to, to uh, either put fear in people or to create a reaction. And the reaction is then followed and tracked across social media. It's, it's looking at how material is, is spread. It's also looking at the responses to the headlines so uh, often the government is looking to see what kind of response do we get from people when we put an emotive headline like this in the press. Um, so I'm not sure what the motivation was for, for publishing uh, this article, but it absolutely is fake news. And what I want to know, Patrick, is where are the fact checkers? Where were the fact checkers when that article was published? Oh, no, 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 that's, that's not to be fact checked. Uh, because look, it, it, there's two ways you can go with this, this Mike. Um, yes, there, there is uh, rationing of care, but he's not reporting on it there. He's not reporting on real rationing of care. He's, he's created a clickbait story. Yes, it's, I, I see where you could go with that issue, uh, how he's interpreted it, but it's still not factually correct. It's bad journalism. But the worst part about it, the worst part about it is by gaslighting that particular paper, he's basically gaslighting away from the real ethical conversation mm. and and ethics and morals are the thing that is missing throughout the quote pandemic mm. there is no discussion of ethics let alone morals mm. and it seems that sage is totally devoid of any of this from day one mm -hmm. the whole concept of lockdown deaths lockdown deaths that's just verboten in in, the, in government circles and in the mainstream media that's to do with ethics that's in that discussion paper. A lot of great points came up, things that should be influencing policy. And what's the Daily Mail doing? They just turned it, just spun it into a, a clickbait story. And I'm sure they made a lot of money from the ads out of that. I'm sure they did. And I'm sure the government gathered a lot of uh, intelligence on it as well. Uh, but the question then is, uh, what is the situation with bed occupancy uh, in the UK? Um, well, here's the Guardian. Uh, from today, dire warning that London's hospitals could be, could be overwhelmed by COVID. Now, look, I'm not going to take credit for what I'm about to show here because there is a meme going around 
social media, which shows all the articles that I'm going to show. I've just displayed it in a slightly different way. Uh, but this is the key point. This is 2021, or at least the winter of 2020, 2021. This is from today. And this is the basis for ramping up lockdowns. Yes. Save the NHS. Get us out clapping again. Yes. Uh, on Thursday? Is it Thursdays on again? On Thursdays, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but let's just go back through history and see other Guardian headlines about the NHS. So that's 2020. Here's 2019. Hospital beds at record low in England as NHS struggles with demand. Here's 2018. NHS intensive care units sending patients elsewhere due to lack of beds. Isn't that happening now? That's been in the headlines the last couple of days. Supposedly. Yes. Let's look at 2017. NHS bosses signed alarm over hospitals already running at 99% capacity. 99%? Yes. That's a crisis. Absolutely. You should shut down the economy. When was this? 2017? 2017. Was that because of the flu? That was because of the flu that and, year. But what happened? Did they save the NHS that no, year? No, they didn't. No, no. They did. It still It still, it still exists, survived. but they didn't. Have, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> they did. actually, nope. right? 2016, hospitals in England told to put operations on hold to free up beds. Wow. 2015, hospital bed occupancy rates hit record high risk in care. Uh, 2014, more patients, overstretched doctors. Is the NHS facing a winter crisis? Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Uh, 2013, hospitals scramble to prevent crisis in NHS, toughest ever winter. 2012, hospitals full to bursting as bed shortage hits danger level. We have seen this every single winter for the last Goodness knows how many years. I've stopped at 2012. I'm quite sure we could have gone back further. But the fact of the matter is, and this was the key point from the beginning, Patrick, we're not seeing anything different this year than any other year. We've seen spikes in mortality in the past. And we haven't shut down our economy. We haven't shut, been concerned about the NHS uh, and, and so on. So uh, so that that is uh, that is the situation. The o overwhelming of the healthcare service, uh, saving the NHS, that the hospitals are being overrun. This is an absolute trope, and it's been used from the beginning of this crisis. In fact, that trope is the basis for all of the big heavy mitigation policies: lockdowns, social distancing, masks. What else? Closures of schools. Yes. What else? Closing businesses. Uh, travel restrictions, what else? Vaccines, all of it to immunity save passports. Immunity pass to save our to, so we don't overwhelm our health service. They've been raising this alarm every single year in the press. What they've done this year is really weaponized it uh, in in terms of uh, you know combining it with with COVID nineteen. So let's look at some actual figures then. Bed occupancy in England. This is just for England. Uh, and uh, well, we're going to produce a graph showing 2019, 2020, and 2020, 21. So uh, here's week 49 of 2019, uh, and uh, well, it was a 94.9 percent occupancy. Here's week 50 of 2019, a 94.9 percent occupancy. Week 51 of 2019, a 94.2 percent occupancy, uh, and 89.4 percent occupancy in week 52 of 2019. Let's. What would you imagine the the, the the 2020, 2021 lines are going to look like, Patrick, based, based on the headlines alone. We should have locked down, Mike, last December. We should have. We should, we should have, have because look, here's the situation. Uh, week 49 of 2020, 87.1% occupancy. Ooh. Week 50 of 2020, of 2020 was 88.9% occupancy. Not looking good. Week 51, 88.6% occupancy. Week 52, 82.7% occupancy. So occupancy this year is significantly lower than it was last year. But this year we're seeing headlines with ambulances parked up outside of A&E departments because apparently they can't get the people in the ambulances, out of the ambulances and into the A&E departments. So, Mike, but I'm looking at this graph here and how can this be true? There's a pandemic on. Matt Hancock told us there was a pandemic on just on social media this week. And Keir Starmer said the virus is out of control. How can those numbers be true, Mike? Where are you getting your numbers from? Well, well from the NHS. Well, let me just let me just quote. I'm going to fact check you on those. Well, that's good. I'm going to um, fact check you. Apparently, NHS warns against using direct comparisons because you wouldn't exactly be comparing like for like. Now, there's something I want. This, this is a valid point. This is a valid point, and it's a very key point. The statistics from the beginning 
have been engineered to make sure that it's very hard to compare like for like. That is true. Uh, but <laughs> now we have the situation where the NHS, as Brian was saying on Wednesday's programme, has decided to stop gathering many of these statistics. So it's going to be even harder uh, to compare like for like uh, during the course of 2021. And those would be incon inconvenient statistics uh, that they're stopped, they're I, stopped I think, gathering. I think that graph absolutely demonstrates that. Mm. Um, so uh, the statistics are key to understanding what's going on. And when there is no reliable source of statistics uh, for the NHS for bed occupancy, this is for the Office for National Statistics, who are better than most, uh, don't gather this information and they don't publish data on this information. I would very much like to see them begin to do that uh, because uh, Public Health England and the National Health Service are singularly unreliable on this. Could you throw that, that graph back up yes. on screen? Everybody, if you're watching this, take a screenshot of that graph. That's a lockdown killer right there. Yes. That graph is a lockdown killer. Take a screenshot, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, share it right across Instagram, all your social media accounts. Right. Now, we've got some good news, folks. Good news. Uh, Pfizer has decided to rebrand. It's got a new brand. We're going to show you the promo video in one little second. Uh, but they are rebranding because they are shifting from commerce to science. Now, that should make everybody feel particularly comfortable. They're shifting from commerce to science. Uh, so let's just uh, have a look at uh, their little video. This is their, this is their uh, uh, logo through the years. Uh, we get to 2009 and the, the one we're familiar with. Uh, but this is the new logo, the new graphic. Uh, this is really exciting. So what's this about? It's a logo, a logo inspired by DNA's double helix structure. The rebrand comprises an identity overhaul complete with new typeface and dual tone color palette. Uh, most recently, Pfizer partnered with German biotech company, according to their press release, BioNTech, to develop a COVID vaccine. It was announced in November 2020, and the vaccine had a nearly 95% efficacy rate, they say. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine began rolling out across the UK in December. The rebrand has been prompted by a new era for the company, according to Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla. Pfizer is no longer in the business of just treating diseases. We're curing and preventing them, he said. Uh, and the new focus is on science and research capabilities, and it inspires the most prominent part of Pfizer's rebrand, the DNA-themed logo. Uh, and they're, they now, they're saying, we unlock the pill um, form to reveal the core of what we do, a double helix spiraling upward. I hope that makes you feel uh, spectacularly comfortable, Patrick. I think that's a, a sort of alluding to the mRNA, uh, what they call technology platform. Uh, their vaccine, which uh, doesn't actually provide immunity, uh, just so people are, can be reminded, according to the companies themselves, all they can do is reduce symptoms, says it right here. All <laughs> We can only promise that these will reduce symptoms. So, Mike, if it doesn't provide immunity, and if it only reduces symptoms, then can you call it a vaccine? Because vaccines are meant to immunize. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. So really, what are they doing? Providing a treatment? Is that really what it is? So if, if it's a treatment, well, there's a lot of other things that you could do to, to reduce symptoms. Uh, aspirin, we have uh, Advil, ibuprofen. We have a whole list of different drugs that you can use. Hydroxychloroquine. To, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, to reduce symptoms. It's just an endless list. So they're not providing immunity. So it isn't about immunizing the population. The language is completely fraudulent in that sense. The marketing a bump that they're putting out that are being re re repeated by government health ministers, I mean, that alone should, the, the mainstream media should be up in arms that there's that level of deception going on, yet we hear nothing. Total mm. crickets. No, indeed. Instead, we get headlines, front pages like that one. Well, this, this I, I'll, I'll show you my some of the recent propaganda. Uh, I'll just show you these first. I mean, we just, I mean, if, if you go to your newsstand, know that your newsstand is really an advertising point of sale for pharmaceutical companies and, and for the government as well, who's buying advertising, right? So the, the local press is interesting, Mike. This is the uh, Western Morning News. Big spike in COVID-19 cases for under 30s. And so more of a nuanced propaganda operation for the, the local and regional press. So they're trying to say that young people are suddenly at risk of COVID now after nine months. 
So that's the prop that sort of propaganda. In the back, we have the government full-page spread, probably above rack rate in terms of ad rates. So they're doing, of course, this is good for the uh, newspapers who are dying on their feet. Let's vaccinate Britain. This is Labour Party's new campaign, and the Daily Mirror are running point on uh, that. And uh, perversion of the flag, kind of uh, blood red color there. Bloodstained Union Jack. Let's vaccinate Britain. So a force for good, uh, they say. That's the mirror. And then uh, a call to arms. Uh, of course, we're getting the, the hints uh, that the army are, will be helping to deploy because the government has failed miserably to get enough people vaccinated quickly enough. So the government, the army is going to be called in. That's right. And this is the sun. This is today. Jabs Army, mm -hmm. they're calling it here. And of course, on the back, again, yeah. the government full paid spread above rack rate in terms of ad rate. So Obviously, the sun's very happy about that. So you can see everyone's scratching each other's back. A shot in the army. What do you think they're alluding to there, Mike? The same thing, the army on the streets. So we need the military on the streets to what? Help vaccinate people? Or, or gather them up for vaccination. I'm not quite clear just yet. Yeah, it's strange. But oh, in the back, oh, yeah. that's the mirror again, full page spread. So it's good. That's a valuable piece of real estate. And then here, a giant step for mankind. A giant, one giant step. Hope. One from, hope. And this is, if you look closely, go back on screen. Yeah. This is the AstraZeneca logo at the top of that syringe. I mean, is that not the most bombastic piece of front page advertising, corporate advertising ever? And it's got a rocket blasting off. And of course, Boris is there to help with this moonshot. So one giant hope. So is this what Western civilization has been reduced to, Mike? That, that that's our greatest human achievement? is this uh, rushed experimental vaccine from this corporation and, and Pfizer and all these others who are drowning in lawsuits for liability and injury and bribing uh, uh, regulators and so forth mm -hmm. in, in America. Unbelievable. So this is the propaganda that's coming on mainstream media. And it's absolutely relentless. And we're going to vaccinate the world. Vaccinate the world. So that, that's really what it comes down to. Now look at this collusion between government, between corporate media, Mike, between the pharmaceuticals. And we're going to just remind people uh, about this. Uh, this is a quote from Benito Mussolini. And I'm going to hammer this home again. Fascism should more appropriately be called corporativism uh, because it is the merger of state and corporate power. And is that not, and he would know a thing or two about fascism, mm -hmm. Uh, Benito, is that not what we're witnessing right now? Uh, I think it is. Now, on Monday, uh, we were talking about uh, the notification of infectious diseases, uh, and uh, uh, we were highlighting a statement from Public Health England, uh, let's put it on screen, saying that registered medical practitioners in England and Wales have a statutory duty to notify their local authority or local health protection team of suspected cases of certain infectious diseases. And we were making the point that uh, uh, there was... Uh, this being sent around the No ID's uh, weekly report, uh, statutory notification of infectious diseases in England, Wales, week 51 uh, of last year, uh, that there had only been 50 notifications during that week. Now, uh, the question that was being asked by many people on social media is, well, this doesn't quite, quite fit with government statistics. Um, so we needed to do a bit more digging. And thank you very much to the viewers who helped us out with this. It's very much appreciated. Um, because uh, oh, just before we get to the, to the second document, because there is a second document, just to remind ourselves of what Public Health England uh, made as a statement over this. They said that uh, COVID-19 cases are identified through more than one route, which reduces the reliance on a single system of clinical notification. No IDs uh, reports are simply one relatively minor route for clinicians to report suspected cases of COVID-19, which may or may not be subsequently confirmed. Uh, they went on to say they do not in any way represent a total number of confirmed cases. The national total for confirmed positive cases is published daily uh, on the COVID-19 dashboard. And we were asking on Monday how this could possibly be uh, since there's a statutory uh, requirement to notify. Um, so we didn't, weren't quite uh, agreeing with this statement from Public Health England, or at least we were asking questions about it. But anyway, it turns out there is a second document. Uh, it's this one. Uh, the statutory notif notification of infectious diseases causative agents document. So the first one that we showed with the 50 cases is notifications that are made by GPs effectively. And this one is the one that's made by the testing laboratories. 
Okay, so this the numbers are significantly bigger in this one. So let's uh, show you what it showed for uh, week 52. Uh, and as you can see, if you look uh, at, at that section, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, uh, the, you see the numbers are quite high. So in, in, uh, in week 52, they're claiming 235,250 positive tests. Um, and uh, that's, that's the number for not just PCR tests, but also lateral flow tests. There's no indication there about whether that number uh, what proportion of that number is PCR and what proportion is lateral flow tests. And of course, Patrick, as you know, the government guidance is that if you get a positive test from a lateral flow test, you then have to go and get that test confirmed with a PCR test. So there's no indication here how many of those test results are duplicates because somebody got a positive test with a lateral flow test and then had that confirmed with a PCR test. There's no indication about what that, what that is. Um, but something else that struck me about this particular table uh, was, was this line here, uh, SARS-CoV-2 total antibody negative, because the, the, the line that we showed you a second ago was for PCR and lateral flow. Uh, these are there for various antibody tests. Uh, and what we see there is uh, for the people that were testing negative on the antibody test, uh, there are about 6,000 a week, six to 7,000 a week for most weeks in that uh, table. But for week 49, for some reason, there were 240,000 uh, uh, negative tests. And on the line be below, the positive tests are about 56,000. So there are outliers in week 49. Uh, and so I asked Public Health England why that was. And they said uh, the large number of antibody tests notified in week 49 were a batch of results reported by a national research study. Now, the only national research studies that I'm aware of, uh, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong about this, are the ones that are being run by Ipsos Mori. Uh, and uh, you know many of our children have been receiving uh, letters uh, from Ipsos Mori asking them to volunteer uh, for this testing. And in fact, uh, in a number of cases, children have been sent home from school as a result of somebody testing positive as a through, this, uh, through this test. But nonetheless, uh, that explains that line as well. So that's why there were only 50 on the original document, and I just thought it was important to clarify that because, for people. Because that went viral yes. for about a week or something like that. So the, the implication was, um, oh, this is just crazy, and this, this debunks the government's uh, yes. conspiracy. And while, while that may be true to a degree, yes, the government is uh, cooking the data, so to speak, um, that particular piece that went viral wasn't actually correct. No, and no was, that's right. It was too extreme. And, and it's very easy that the uh, mainstream media, the government, or the, uh, the gods of, of, of tech will look at a situation like that and use that as an excuse to basically censor social media and to clamp down on, quote, disinformation. So you know, we're advising people uh, to, if it looks too good to be true, oftentimes it, it, is. it is. And so use your skeptical uh, uh, tools of, of uh inquiry uh, when you see things like that. Double well, check, triple check. What In this case, what happened? Some of our viewers contacted Public Health England, yes? Well, well, I contacted Public Health England, but other people were contacting Public Health England as well. And in fact, Public Health England, by the sign of things, were receiving quite a number of inquiries about this. But look, you made a, you, the point about the fact checkers earlier on. The fact checkers were right on this. This mm. was another one that they were right on trying to debunk uh, and uh, our favorite fact checker in the UK, uh, Full Facts, otherwise known as Full Fact, um, they, they produced uh, a, a major report on, on this particular issue. Um, and uh, so... It's too bad they can't take the government to task as much as they're taking the... Uh, or the Daily Mail, as the, we saw in that article earlier on. Instead, they're just chasing, uh, chasing the plebs online, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with that, we've got to leave it for today and for this week. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back at 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. And I uh, hope you have a great weekend in the meantime. And we'll see you then. Bye-bye.